0: Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, June 13th. David Johnston has resigned as special rapporteur. Does this mean we'll finally see a public inquiry and what comes next into the investigation into foreign interference? We discuss with Kim Wright, founder and principal at government relations firm Wright Strategy.
1: The wildfires burning across our nation have highlighted the need for a more robust emergency management plan for Canada. Could we take some cues from the Federal Emergency Management Agency in the U.S. or FEMA? We get the thoughts of Ali Asghari, professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering at the University of Waterloo. And
0: finally, don't let dad down with another boring tie this Father's Day. We catch up with the gadget guy, Mike Yanni, for some cool suggestions to make your dad's special day terrific. Now that David Johnston has resigned as special rapporteur, what comes next in the public's quest to have a public inquiry over foreign interference. Joining us to discuss is Kim Wright, founder and principal of Wright Strategies. Good morning to you, Kim.
2: Good morning, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for being here. We we know about David Johnson's past. He served as governor general from 2010 to 2017. No stranger to public service, but do you think he made a mistake accepting this role as special rapporteur?
2: I think he tried to come into this with the best of intentions. You know, when you're asked to serve your country, you try to step up in any way you can, and he talked about that. I do think he was a bit naive about what the role uh, was going to be, uh, how the prime minister expected a report to run out, and I think one of the challenges we saw was, you know, David Johnston was you know kind of Canada's grandpa for a while uh, as he was governor general. People quite liked him personally and professionally, but his report—you uh, really had to separate the two. The two uh, situations. Situations, the man that wrote it and the contents of it. And there were so many contradictions within it that it felt like it was a torqued process uh, and, and it wasn't what Canadians were expecting from a man of his, of his stature. And so that became really challenging for him.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Kim. And then, you know, stepping down, I think he had no choice but to. But how has his role as special rapporteur impacted David Johnson's reputation do you think it has in the in the long run? I think it has. I think it certainly has diminished him and tarnished
2: him. But again, I look to the Prime Minister on this. They they could have very easily said, you know what, you've got this relationship with the Trudeau family and the Trudeau Foundation uh, and people that were working on the on the special repertoire project uh, had been donors to the Liberal Party. Those were unforced errors as far as I'm concerned. Then you got into the content of the report itself, and again, the contract not having interviewed uh, MP Han Dong, who was at the center of some of the controversy, not having uh, interviewed Aaron O'Toole, the former leader of the Conservative Party, until after the report had already gone to print. So all of these things really started to question it. Plus, you have you know, comments around the public safety minister, the former chief of police from the city of Toronto, Bill Blair, who couldn't access a portal or an email. Uh, You know, that to me felt, one, how is it we're managing you know, uh, public safety and security of parliamentarians without being able to sort out your email problems, but two, you know, the passing understanding is that he didn't read the briefing packets. You know, you're leaving parliamentarians quite vulnerable, and there are at least three uh, parliamentarians that we know of that were facing uh, direct threats, them and their family, and that should have been exposed at the very least than uh, let alone all the rest of interference from China, India, Russia, etc.
0: With uh, Mr. Johnson's resignation, Kim, uh, what is the next step? Is is this position going to be dissolved or are there options to to fill the special rapporteur? And who would be a good fit?
2: Well, there are lots of Canadians who could fit the bill. And we've, we've seen these types of inquiries, uh, either former judges, former parliamentarians. And you can do them in a way that can get to the security and classified nature of this. I look to the Air India Inquiry, definitely classified information uh, that could be dealt with in an inquiry format. There are many people who can do this. Now, ultimately, this becomes up to the prime minister about how they want to set this up. And again, not having those unforced errors. Parliament several times has said we want a public inquiry uh, that the report that was put forward, this initial report by David Johnston, wasn't living up to what the expectations uh, were. And we need to have a public area and for goodness sakes this isn't you know a fundraising scandal this is fundamentally about the heart of our democracy and are our elections safe and free
1: next do we see a public inquiry
2: i think we should um i quite believe that we do and i know ndp leader jagmeet singh and and others have called for this from the beginning and frankly as as he has said um Making sure it's not just about China, but all of those other actors, again, India, Russia, and others that might be trying to push on our elections. Canadians need to understand how safe our elections are. Are there safeguards in place? uh, And how do they follow through with that? Also, the protection of parliamentarians as they're going about their job defending Canada, that should be also front and center of this. Again, I don't know that the Prime Minister wants to do this because he thinks it's going to be like uh, the Gomery inquiry of of yesteryear, which was fundamentally a fundraising scandal uh, that took down the Liberal Party for quite some time. That's not what canadians are looking for they're not looking for that kind of a circus they want to get to the the heart of the matter which is our elections and our democracy
0: okay Uh, just playing devil's advocate here kim if you could advise for example the liberal party of canada (laughs) um how important is it to to wrap this up to get uh, past this as speedily as possible i mean obviously you've got all eyes now and uh, you know the uh, CPC is not going to be uh, taking their foot off the gas and they're going to want some answers. But to wrap this up as quickly as possible, how important is it for the Liberal government?
2: Uh, absolutely. Again, these are unforced errors. And, um, you know, at the at the end of the day, parliamentarians are going to go back out to their communities, onto the cocktail party circuit, the barbecue circuit. Uh, they're going to go out to Stampede, and they're going to hear about this. There are going to be questions. Why are you covering this up? What is What is so... Uh, what is so challenging about this is it isn't necessarily that there are foreign actors trying to push on our elections. That happens. It feels like at this point, as we are several months into this, that there is something more fundamentally shady about this that we need to get to the answers of. And I think the more they let this drag on and let the stink of that uh, keep going, it's going to it's going to fundamentally hurt them. This is not something that is just a CPC issue or an opposition party issue. This is one of those things that fundamentally uh, unites Canadians. And we've seen that in poll after poll. And the Prime Minister would be well served to get on with this if he expects for his government to,
1: to maintain uh, its ability to govern. Thank you so much for joining us, Kim. Great perspective this morning. Appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. You too. Kim Wright, founder and principal at Wright Strategies. I don't think there's anybody that would disagree. It's time to get on, get past this. But before that can happen, I think we all can probably agree, right? I mean, don't we need this public inquiry to happen? I think they've put it off the Liberal government has long enough, appointing a special rapporteur that did nothing, that he's he's already, you know, resigned his position days after pretty much he he got put in that role. A Time to let's just move forward, get the public inquiry done. We know we're not going to hear a lot of the information because it's it's such high security. But that inquiry, I think, needs to happen. Or
0: the Liberal government, they cannot move forward. One more questionable move, one more controversy surrounding Mm -hmm. the Liberal government and essentially Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Whether or not you're a Liberal supporter, at what point, is is something going to be done to hold this government to hold this party to accountability? It is maddening. I can't even believe it. I, like I don't. A,
1: even, I don't even understand the why behind not just calling the inquiry from the beginning.
0: Well, because what if what if it makes the liberal government look bad? We all know this. But really, uh, I don't I mean, know. It's just, it's crazy to me.
1: I, there's just so much to this. I don't know how you you don't call the inquiry from the start to satisfy Canadians need to feel yeah. safe and secure in our election process and making sure that you know there's not nefarious nothing to see here yeah, like, like i just i don't get it
0: there's no such thing as half transparency and that's why i think that the public inquiry has to come to fruition uh, it has to will it happen will you know and now they're just you know poking holes in pierre polyev and why is he asking well because opposition's gonna oppose that's the way it works
1: well now that the basketball um, finals are over maybe we can put some <laughs> money on whether this inquiry goes ahead or not The wildfires in Alberta have already burned 1,350,000 hectares this year, making it the most active spring on record. So does Canada need a FEMA-like emergency agency? And what impact would a federal agency have in tackling emergencies like these wildfires? Joining us to talk about it is Ali Asghari, Professor of Disaster and Emergency Management at York University. Good morning to you, Professor. Thanks so much for joining
3: us. Good morning. Thank you for having me.
1: Before we talk about whether Canada needs a FEMA-like emergency agency, what do we have here in Canada currently? Can you break down what it is that we already use and have here at our resource?
3: Of course. Uh, Currently, Canada is using the common model that uh, basically is uh, looking into local communities first when it comes to emergency management. And if local communities, cities, towns, uh, municipalities are overwhelmed with an emergency, uh, they usually uh, call for support from the higher level, uh, mm-hmm. most of the time, of course, uh, provincial and territorial level. And if the territorial level or emergency uh, escalates to higher uh, and bigger, uh, which requires support from federal then the federal government usually uh, respond and provide supports. So that is a common practice for now. And for that, each municipality, each uh, province and territories, uh, as well as federal government, have created their own emergency management and emergency response system to to be able to um, to do. Uh, what is expected from them to do. That's basically what we are currently uh, having in place. At at federal level, currently, uh, Public Safety Canada handles uh, and uh, uh, coordinates uh, federal emergency response. In uh, provincial and territorial levels, uh, we have uh, sort of emergency management uh, organization and agencies uh, that are taking care of emergencies right now.
0: Professor, is it a fair comparison to, to say that you know we, we have these deficiencies in our emergency management system? Or should we look at the other side and say this is a very, very powerful wildfire season that's not only powerful but started very early in the season? Is, is it fair to say that it is a deficient system or is it being tested beyond its limits because of the extreme nature of these wildfires? Uh,
3: I, I would say it is, uh, it's a combination. Uh, And of course, deficiencies in emergency management system uh, or emergency management system, better to say, uh, supposed to be able to cope with, you know, uh, worst case scenarios like this. And if we cannot face it and we cannot manage it the way we want, that is a deficiency. And at the same time, uh, of course, uh, we we can say that this can be enhanced to, to become better. So... Um, This is a combination that's one thing uh, and emergencies, large emergencies are are about these extreme uh, situations and a a good emergency management system should be able to tackle and handle uh, largest emergencies and as you know in the past we have been doing very well uh, relatively uh, with uh, effective emergency management system mostly because we have been dealing with a smaller scale Mm -hmm. or manageable uh, but at this time, as we go to larger, uh, considering the current situation, considering the emerging trends, et cetera, so we have to be able to uh, stay and manage larger scale emergencies That's where we see some of these deficiencies right now.
1: Professor, can you kind of explain what, what FEMA does in the U.S., why we even might want to sort of move towards a FEMA-like system here in Canada as well?
3: Uh, sure uh, w- the, the main difference basically between uh, fema and what we currently have is that fema has uh, very well organized uh, emergency response management uh, teams and systems uh, which is uh, easy to call co- easier to coordinate uh, in, in a sense and also uh, resourceful uh, all the resources that are required are are e- are on their uh, disposal and also um, they are uh, fast to, faster they can respond to uh, when uh, there is a sort of uh, warning or signals of potential uh, major uh, emergencies that they may be called. So the, that is the, what we have now. We don't have similar systems in terms of teams that are connected, organized, ready to go, resourceful. Uh, And it's not just also about the the response, it is uh, all about emergency management at the comprehensive level. You, You have teams that also support local, provincial and territorial level emergency management across the board during the normal situations to make them ready, prepare them, provide the resources and support that they need. So this is what FEMA is, is doing. And th- th- there is a gap in the same way uh, in Canada, especially at the higher level as, as we see now.
0: We're talking with Professor Ali Asghari, and his recent article is in The theconversation.com focusing on... Uh, how we perhaps need a FEMA-like emergency management agency here in uh, the uh, nation of Canada. But it's interesting to me, Professor, because uh, the same reason that we might have challenges replicating what happens in the U.S. is the same reason we have problems with, for example, beefing up airlines, and and the same reason we have problems with uh, cell service across the nation. The fact that we've got such a huge piece of land that is our country, Canada, in a smaller population. Is that something that wouldn't give us the opportunity to have exactly the same kind of a system that is happening in the U.S.?
3: Uh, that, that's a very good question. And, and that is, that is, of course, uh, why and how our emergency management system so far has been shaped. But uh, the, the reality is that uh, whether we are small or large in terms of population and resources. Uh, the fact is that emergencies are... Uh, our cross border emergencies uh, you know, uh, could become uh, large uh, regardless of whether you are a small country or large country so that, that's one part of it and the other part is that for many other aspects, we really follow the same system that exists in Canada, in, in US for example, our standard the emergency management standard is, is pretty much similar to, um, to, to the US but our organizations are not. Um, so if we can have similar systems in other other areas, especially with regard to the standards, we should also be able to create the same, uh, you know, at least adopt the same standards as, our institutional and governance level. And it is not all also about the, the, the comparing the sizes in terms of uh, bigger uh, country uh, versus a smaller in terms of number of, um, for example, population. It is also about more the governance structure that helps uh, coordinate, mobilize resources, even the, the resources that we have better and faster. We don't need to necessarily create the same size. FEMA. We need to create the same uh, organizational structure or similar. I mean, I'm not even saying the same. Similar structures that can do better, can mobilize resources faster and also support during normal situations.
1: Thank you so much for joining us for the conversation. Professor, I appreciate your time this morning.
3: Thank you very much. I appreciate your time as well.
1: Ali Asghari is a professor of disaster and emergency management at York University if there's one surefire way to win over dad this father's day which by the way is this sunday if you don't have a gift yet helping you out here well it would be with the gift of tech in fact and it's no secret dads love their gadgets so joining us this morning on this tech tuesday is gadget guy mike yanni with some unique gift ideas for the dad that has everything good morning mike
4: Good morning. Yeah, you know, it's kind of difficult to put these lists together because dads are so techie now that they seem to have almost Mm -hmm. anything. So I tried to kind of think outside of the box with this one.
1: Okay, let it rip. We've got the wireless meat thermometer, the smart meat thermometer. These are brilliant. I've seen them in use, and they really are worth the money, aren't they?
4: They really do work because truth be told, not every dad is king of the grill. Some of us, and I've been, you know, I've done this before too, overcook the meat. It's easy to do, especially if you get distracted. So I love these. Uh, The one I've been testing out is by a company called Meter. And uh, yeah, you stick a, a probe inside the steak, it's wireless. You put it on the grill. You have an app with your smartphone. You can monitor the steak in real time, it'll let you know exactly when it hits the temperature that you want it, uh, and then you pull it off. And it even takes into account things like rest time. So you always have the perfect steak. You know, I had my in-laws over last night. We had dinner, and they said they've never had steak cooked to such perfection as last night when we used these uh, meter uh, uh, smart thermometers. Amazing.
0: I think there's buttering up because food always tastes better when somebody else cooks <laughs> it. To Mike, they're going to be knocking yeah. on your door every day. Uh, one quick question, because I know that uh, some of the bigger cues, like the Traegers, for example, come with pri- proprietary thermometers. This can work on any a charcoal or a propane or a smoker. It doesn't matter which which cue you're using it with.
4: You know what? You don't even have to use it on a barbecue. It will work with all of that, but you can also use it for a roast in the oven. Mm-hmm. Wow. You can use it anywhere. Yeah. Easy
1: I, to read. I've seen it. It's easy to to read the meter that's on your phone because it's an app, and it's so wow. simple to use. It really is. Yeah.
4: Okay. I will say there are wired ones as well where there's a little wire that goes to a, a little screen that tells you, and they're great. They are cheaper. They're more budget-friendly. That being said, if you got four or five people that you're cooking for and everyone wants their own you know, perfect steak, it's almost like... Surgery, open heart surgery because mm. you're trying to avoid all the wires because they're hot right. they're hot yeah. when you use a wired one so i'd say splurge a little bit more and get a wireless
0: well, first of all if, if they don't want medium rare they're not your friends anyway so that's fair all right, fair. That's all right. Fair. We, we've had our meat we got to wash it down um uh, is it called fizzies uh, or physics what do we got you got a special draft uh, uh, item that is uh, like the kegerator but a lot cheaper we can have that draft beer without having to take up the space or the budget
4: yeah, kegerators, I, I love them. I actually have one, but they're expensive. You know, they can run about $1,000 or more. Um, so this is kind of an alternative. It's called the physics draft pour. And what it does is it converts your canned or bottled beer into draft beer. And so you might think, oh, well, this is just a fan- fancy dispenser. It actually pressurizes the can or the bottle. And so when you pour it out of the draft tap, uh, it changes the carbonation to more of a nitro uh, carbonation. So it's got those fine bubbles, and it actually alters the taste. So depending on what beer you use, you'll get a completely different taste than if you were drinking it out of the can. So it's been kind of fun to play around with.
1: Uh, Speaking of, this is really interesting. It's called the Lumen, a metabolism hack device. What exactly is this?
4: So we know we should be eating healthier, maybe drinking less beer, but sometimes it's difficult. So I thought, okay, if you can introduce tech into it, that might get dad on the health train. It's a small little breathalyzer-like device called Lumen. And yeah, you're right, Sue. It claims it can hack your metabolism. So what you do is you breathe into it like a breathalyzer for 10 seconds and it monitors the carbon dioxide in your breath. And it can tell if you are burning fat or you're burning carbs. And as a result of that, it can set you up for the day saying, okay, today is a high carb day or today is a low carb day. And it gives you a meal plan throughout the day. It'll also let you know that, oh, wait a minute, you just woke up, but you're still burning carbs. That means you ate way too much last night before going to bed. You should wait longer. So it really kind of gives you insight on what's happening in your body so you can hit those health goals.
0: One of the big trends when it comes to backyards, Mike, is you know taking the TV outside, especially here with you know the short summer season we have. And, and also, when you look at something like the NHL playoffs, we'd like to watch it on the patio. I yeah. see people with their TVs out, and I'm thinking it's got to be a hassle to be, keep hauling that thing inside at the end of the, mm-hmm. the game or the end of the night. Uh, but you have a solution for us.
4: It is a hassle. and I'll say I've done it. But a couple things you'll notice if you've tried to bring your TV outside. Number one, it's hard to see, especially in sunlight. Yeah, They're yeah, just totally. not bright yep. enough. So I've tested out one uh, from Samsung called the Terrace and is really, it's built for the outdoors. Uh, it's super bright, you can watch it in direct sunlight, but the best part is completely uh, Water, weatherproof. Basically it can rain. You can have, it could freeze. There's dust resistant. Oh. Um, I actually, you know, took the garden hose to it to rinse it off cause it's completely safe. Uh, the other thing too, is it's a smart TV. So it's got all the apps built in. So all your streaming services, so you don't have to worry about, you know, connecting a satellite or cable box to it, but you can do that. There are inputs for all that stuff and they're all waterproofed as well and weatherproofed. Um, but I've got to say having something like that in the backyard, it changes your family dynamic for the summer. We have spent over the last couple of weeks, you know, numerous family nights outside watching TV together, watching movies, because it's it's kind of a new thing to try out, right? And all of a sudden you're spending time with your family again. So right there, that's worth
1: it. That is super cool. Some really neat gift ideas, some techie ideas for dad, for Father's Day, or just for anyone that you love, because those are some fun things that you can be using all summer long. Thank you so much, Mike. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Mike Yanni is the Gadget Guy. You can find him on Twitter at Gadget underscore Guy. He's on Insta at Gadget Guy Mike. He's got his own channel on YouTube. Just search Gadget Guy Mike Yanni. And uh, don't forget, Father's Day, just days away now. It's coming this Sunday.